Hello, hello. My name is Jess, and this is Patient POV. And today, as you can kind of see, we're in a little bit of a different, um, a different room or setup than we're normally used to. Um, the dogs this week got spayed. So Elda is sitting beside me. We had to move upstairs because um, the dogs can't do the stairs. So Elda's my golden retriever puppy now. And um, so we have her up here with me and we typically record in the basement, but uh, we're recording upstairs, which is why we see a little bit of a different setup. Um, this week has been a crazy week. It is Thanksgiving in Canada this weekend. So uh, we just had our Thanksgiving meal. And so that was very delicious and very nice. And so this week has been an interesting one. A little turn of events is Journey is my mom's dog, who's Elda, my dog's sister, biologically. And um, so they... <laughs> The noise in the background is her as well, is Elda, um, but Journey had some more complications with her spay surgery, so she's um, right now at the vet getting checked out, so we're going to hopefully hear some good news soon saying that she's going to be fine, but um, yeah, that one's, that one's going to be a rough one for sure, um, figuring out what's going on and, and what's happening. Um, other news other than dogs is um, uh, this week, the activity of the week was I've been getting into crocheting a lot. I finished the blanket um, that I had been working on. So I'll, I'll try to send, I'll try to post a picture of that soon. Um, but I've been making these little animals crocheting it. And then I'm currently now trying to make a top as well, um, like a, a shirt uh, for, for crocheting it. Um, so fun activities that we've been doing. But uh, yeah, and nothing much nothing crazy or anything like that. Um, but today we are going to listen to Bev. Um, she is a person who I had followed on Instagram for a while and then asked her to be on my podcast. We recorded a while ago. So she's speaking about an event in particular um, that she is helping organize. Um, and it says in October, um, but based on when you're listening to this, it might have already passed. So I do apologize for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for you guys to hear about her and her journey. And, um, just another note is that you can always find information about what has been said, um, in the description. So for the last episode, for example, um, she had referenced some things that you could buy, uh, that has helped her. And so I posted links in the description of the um, podcast. And then uh, for this episode, for example, um, as well as the last episode, there's just some notes about what is being said, some really key takeaways. Um, so if you always want to refer back to that, you can, you can refer back to that as well um, for the notes. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. And as always, I hope you have a great week ahead. Thanks so much. Do you want to just start by, like I said, introducing yourself, kind of your background or um, what you have been struggling with or facing over the last little bit? Sure. Um, so, uh, sorry. <laughs> My name is Bev. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I'm originally from Montreal, Quebec, but I live in Toronto, Ontario. Canada um, with my husband and we have a little dog um, he's a brown and white terrier named Will um, I live with several chronic illnesses and I in my spare time 
like to be a healthcare disability advocate. Um, I have my own Instagram account called Unwell Unlimitedly, where I talk about topics like health and health system um, literacy, systemic ableism, health equity, the social determinants of health, um, political issues around things that are relevant to people with chronic illness, as well as obviously my own experiences with chronic illness, mental illness, um, a little bit about my experiences with infertility. I'm becoming a little more comfortable talking about that. And just my thoughts in general about coping with chronic illness, um, like the grief that you can experience and stuff like that. It's a mix of things. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and then when abouts within your life, did you start developing chronic illnesses or, or, or start um, noticing these different changes? So, well, I think I've always had um, several of my illnesses, but I didn't understand that I was chronically ill until 2017. Um, so beforehand, I definitely sporadically sought care for some of my symptoms, but I just thought that it was a part of life, especially because it was never really taken seriously or um, given a label. But in 2017, I had some sort of weird flare up in the summer that just kind of triggered like daily chronic pain that has never gone away. So I've never had a pain-free moment since then. But uh, before that, it was more cyclical. Um, and since then, I've been diagnosed with endometriosis as well as adenomyosis, um, as well as an illness called idiopathic intracranial hypertension, which is lesser known. It's a rare disease, affects about one in 100,000 people. And I'm also currently still undiagnosed with one illness, although I guess it is semi-diagnosed. Um, I have some sort of muscle disease. It's been found using like a muscle biopsy, an EMG, other types of testing. Um, but even though they can tell I have some sort of myopathy, they don't know exactly like the illness that is causing it. Um, I'm currently seeing a geneticist and they are very supportive. It's like the first doctor I really felt has taken all the symptoms related to that myopathy seriously. Um, and they strongly believe it's genetic, even though like so far testing hasn't pointed to a specific answer. I'm currently waiting on results from some testing. I'm trying not to be too hopeful that it'll give an answer because I don't want to be too disappointed. Um, but yeah, I, I always did have symptoms. I just, you know, I would go to a gynecologist about pain or um, irregular periods and then they would put me on birth control or just say, oh, that's just what it's like to be uh, someone with a period. Um, I would go to the ER sometimes for like pain. And, you know, I still remember one flare up that I had when I was 20. I was diagnosed with all of this. I'm currently 34. Um, so in 2017, I guess I was around 28. Um, but when I was 20, I remember I was in Kelowna, British Columbia, and I had a really bad like pelvic pain and stomach pain and I went to the doctor and they just were like oh it's just really bad gas which is funny but um and that was definitely an endo flare but I didn't know and so like I had many experiences like that you know when I was maybe like 25 I went to the ER for pelvic pain and they said oh it's just a cyst it'll go away um things like that but I never really put it all together until it kind of all came to a place where it was very disruptive of my life like you know beforehand it would cause like many disruptions and also I would just think oh I'm just weak I'm just tired I'm just lazy I'm not trying hard enough I'm just like not good enough as a person I guess I didn't understand it was an illness um it was really when it like impacted my ability to work full-time to socialize as I was used to not that it never impacted my life before but it was always in a way where I thought 
oh, there's just something wrong with me as a person. I just need to try harder kind of thing. And then I understood I had an illness or several. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And you actually bring up a great point there about how many times you went to get care before you actually mm-hmm. got the diagnosis or actually had somebody, a, a, a medical professional, actually listen to what you're saying and actually get the help you needed. So mm-hmm. speaking on that, like, what has your experience been with the healthcare system? I know we're both in Canada, mm-hmm. um, so we kind of have more of a, personally, I know I have a public um, healthcare experience uh, in Canada. And so what has that been like for you? Well, I could talk about this for probably a few days, but I'll try to keep it short. But um, so I'm very grateful to live in Canada and to have a public healthcare system because I never, as someone with a chronic illness, if I am thinking about going to the emergency room, my concern isn't whether or not I have to pay for it. Although I do have other concerns, like will I be taken seriously? How long will I spend there? Will I be dismissed? Will I have to go home and suffer, um, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of issues with the quality of our healthcare. Um, this is something I talk about all the time, but I am grateful I don't have to pay. However, I, I have had experiences. So for example, um, with endometriosis as an illness um, in Canada, particularly, although this is an issue worldwide, um, we have so few specialists who understand how to perform excision surgery, which is considered the gold standard treatment for endo. Um, there are so few specialists. I'm lucky that I'm in Toronto where there is a little bit, like I think Ontario and Toronto especially has the most, but even then, you know, I waited over a year to see like the best doctor in Canada for endo. Um, and that was pre-pandemic. I know this, the wait times are longer now. Um, and unfortunately, so I did have surgery here to diagnose it in 2018. And my doctor was great, um, but she definitely isn't as skilled in surgery as a lot of the experts, particularly in the US. And so I didn't have like any relief from that surgery, although I did get the uh, mental health relief of knowing that I had an illness that had a name. So that was very validating, but in terms of like pain relief, symptom relief. Um, and so, you know, I tried different medications, nothing was working. And I was suspicious of having um, endo in a certain location that my uh, surgeon and gynecologist wasn't comfortable treating. And so she decided to recommend me to that surgeon I mentioned. And I waited and I went to see him and here's my issue is that I I believe that he's a great doctor and I have several friends who've seen him and love him. But the problem in Canada is that because there's so few specialists, they can only take on so many patients. And so many of these doctors either close their referral list completely or will dismiss a patient if they don't think that maybe they are the right case for them to help, whatever. Um, But the problem is, is that sometimes when these doctors refuse to treat you, they don't just say, I'm really sorry, I can't take on a lot of patients. Like they will make you feel like you don't need their help. And so when I went to see this doctor, he basically was, said things to me such as, oh, you already had surgery, so you can't have endo anymore. Or I didn't feel anything during a pelvic exam, so you can't have endo anymore. And none of these things are accurate to what endometriosis means. Like if you do have a very good excision surgery with a proper excision specialist, like maybe you will never have regrowth, but I didn't. And so he should have known that as a specialist. Um, Anyway, so he denied me care. It was very disappointing, very heartbreaking. And then luckily I had the support of my surgeon for the next step, which was that she said, well, 
I'm not going to do surgery on you. And if he won't do it, like, I think you're going to have to leave the country. Um, a lot of people don't get support from their doctors when they leave the country for care. So I am lucky that I had that. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have felt as comfortable doing it or having the support of my family. I don't know if they would have been as comfortable me doing it if I didn't say, well, my doctor recommended it. Um, and so, yes, I did go in 2020 to Atlanta to have surgery for endo. I had to go into debt. I had to fundraise. Um, I was really anxious about fundraising because I know, especially so many other chronically ill people are struggling with their own health and finances because so many people can't work. And so I personally, I was so almost ashamed of it that I refused to share my GoFundMe myself at all. Like my sister, luckily, was a rock star and she managed to get me a significant portion of money, but not enough to cover the whole surgery. So definitely, you know, uh, I had to do a bunch of things to make it happen. Um, and I was definitely privileged to have the support of a partner who was willing to go into debt with me, stuff like that. Um, and so I went to the States to get that surgery and it was actually literally it was at the beginning of the pandemic. And so I flew there on March 12th, 2020 and had oh, wow. my surgery on March 18th, 2020, it was supposed to be on March 26th, I think. Um, but basically, like, as I got there, you know, at the time, they were saying, Oh, don't worry, we won't cancel surgeries. Uh, but once I got there, like the cases were rising every day, I was just glued to the news, it was very stressful. And then I was convinced they were going to cancel it. But because they knew I was in town already. And because I was an international surgery, I was so grateful they made it happen early. It, it happened eight days early. Um, and then they canceled all the surgeries after mine. And I think, you know, because they were in the States, um, they went back to doing surgeries quite quickly, like maybe a month or two later. They didn't wait as long as Canada did. But and I think if I hadn't, if I had had it canceled and I had come back home, I wouldn't have been as comfortable traveling at that time during the pandemic. And so I would have been, I can't imagine what my, difference of quality of life if I hadn't gone especially because that surgery helped rule out um, I have a lot of respiratory symptoms but and I thought it was because I might have thoracic endometriosis but they ruled it out and because of that I was able to start seeing respirologists who realized that my breathing issues were um, muscular related and then that ended up me being referred to a muscle disease specialist who then referred me to my geneticist etc um so that's one thing. Uh, I have other things to say. I don't want to go on too long, but I will say that like the wait times are so long. So, you know, I saw the muscle disease specialist waiting for him took actually less than a year. It wasn't that bad oh, in comparison. <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah. But, um, but then like, you know, I did the testing and everything. And then when the muscle biopsy kind of came back inconclusive, like, you know, oh, you have some sort of myopathy, but we don't know what the illness is. We're going to, we think it's genetic. We're going to refer you to a geneticist. But the wait to see the geneticist was over a year and a half. Um, and so that wait time was so demoralizing. I felt I never knew like when I was going to see them. I was just always waiting for that call. Um, and these wait times are so exhausting because I've waited so long for certain doctors and then it not to be the right place. So you have to wait that long just to see if they're going to be the right fit for you. And what if they aren't, then you have to start all over again. And it's so exhausting. That's um, definitely yeah. like... Um, Canada specifics although I think you know I, I I connect with a lot of Americans or people in Europe all over Asia etc and they all can relate to these things in a bit but we all have our own particular issues um yeah well yeah just exactly what you were saying there in terms of like the wait times is um you waited less 
a little less than a year to see one doctor who referred you to another doctor, which was a year and a, uh, another year and a half. So that's two and a half years just to get some answers on the same subject. And so, yeah, it, it definitely is very stressful indeed. Um, so considering we're talking about all this, we're talking about um, when you're in the midst of getting diagnosed with things, we're talking about after you've gotten diagnosed with things, you had a little bit of validation, but how do you cope with all of the stress and the anxiety and, and, and all those feelings? It is really hard, especially because um, something I didn't talk about was like the difficulty of like being so vulnerable and when you're struggling and trying to get help and then not being taken seriously, you know, because I had a mental illness diagnosis before I started seeking care in 2017. So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2014 and I actually think it's a not an accurate diagnosis anymore. It's a long story, but I actually think a lot of what I was feeling was actually physical in nature, but I didn't understand. Um, but anyway, because I had that on my chart, like I've had so many instances of having doctors say, oh, that's just anxiety. That's just her bipolar disorder. You're just having a panic attack. You're just overly sensitive to pain. You're just being dramatic, et cetera, et cetera. Even when I had physical proof of some of my symptoms, like, you know, I once went to the ER because I was having like elevated heart rate and breathing issues. And I had already started seeing my respirologist and had like the documented evidence. And they immediately were just like, you're having a panic attack. And they were so cruel about it too. Like they weren't just like dismissive, like they were down, right? It was awful, but coping with these types of things, you know, um, also I'm in a much smaller body now, but in my twenties, especially because of the medications I was taking, I was in a much bigger body and the weight stigma as well from doctors and was such a barrier to getting care. And I strongly believe that because once I lost a significant amount of weight because of my health issues, um, because I have a lot of swallowing difficulties. Um, so it's, you know, I've adjusted to it now, but at, when it first started, it was really hard for me to eat because I didn't know how to do it safely. Um, so I lost a lot of weight. And the difference between being taken seriously now and beforehand is so different, so different. Um, and it, it can really mess with my head too, because if I start to gain a little bit of weight, like I, I get anxious, even though I strongly am like anti-diet culture kind of person, and I'm very much trying to unlearn my own like fat phobia, I get anxious about gaining weight because I know the difference of how you're treated. Um, so when it comes to like coping with all of this, it is really hard um, to cope. But what I do personally, and I'm not perfect at it, and I'm still struggling, well, I think I'm getting better, which is, you know, going to therapy, which I understand, unfortunately, is not accessible to everyone. Um, it's even in Canada, people don't always know that we don't Pay, we have to pay for therapy um, and not everyone has insurance for that, but there are resources for finding affordable therapy. So um, I could always share that with people if they want to connect with me, but therapy is definitely very helpful, especially finding someone who is like accustomed, um, sorry, accustomed to talking with people with chronic illness and kind of understands the particular experiences we might have. It. I recently started seeing a new therapist and I specifically looked for someone who could speak to the struggles I know, and it has been life-changing, and I've only been with this person for like two or three months, and the amount of insights and kind of aha movements and epiphanies I've had, like, it's been really great. Um, journaling 
I know that this sounds cheesy and that people talk about this, uh, but it really is helpful because, you know, sometimes I think, oh, I just think about these things in my head. Like, why do I need to write it down? But it always makes me reframe the way I think about my struggles when I write it down and things pop into my head and I can find solutions I didn't know I had to or ideas of things I needed to look into further or just ways of looking at a situation of something that happened to me about a symptom about something I'm unable to do um again something that may be over recommended but like meditation and I understand that this isn't something that works for everyone but I was very hesitant hesitant to meditate because I really struggle with being alone with my thoughts and also facing like my thoughts as well as facing my pain um I try to distract myself as much as possible I'm constantly listening to a podcast an audiobook uh whenever I'm not working or hanging out with someone or you know doing something that requires like complete focus um but starting meditating I found is both very physically helpful helpful because deep breathing is really important like it sounds so basic but when you have especially pelvic floor tension from endometriosis or muscle tension because of my muscle disease. Um, breathing into those areas like, does help release the tension. And it's not a cure, but you know it can be like a, a tiny bit of momentary relief. Um, and it definitely helps me be more in tune with my body because I felt up until 2017, I had very bad body literacy and I really didn't understand how my body worked or what I should do like beyond, oh yeah, you're supposed to exercise, eat healthy, whatever that means. It's so particular to a certain person. So I find meditating has helped me be more in tune with my body and understand it more and focus. And, you know, even with certain symptoms, it's hard, especially with so many organs in one area to know what's causing that symptom. Oh, I have back pain, but is it really back pain? Actually, I think it's actually trapped gas. And like, these are things that I only started to be better at figuring out once I started meditating, um, as well as to all of these things, journaling, meditating, therapy, it's helped me figure out um, to be more confident in myself. I'm still struggling with that. And to know, you know, facing such medical dismissal or stigma even from people in your community of oh you're just anxious you're overly sensitive oh that's not what you think it is um figuring out how to know what I know is true about my body and believe in myself and not listen to the noise of like what other people say is true but I know they're wrong like that has been so helpful because especially being undiagnosed now it is helpful that I have a partial diagnosis of a myopathy I think if I didn't even have that I would be feeling way more hopeless but even with that I still sometimes struggle with kind of gaslighting myself and being like maybe you really just do need to just eat more vegetables or just walk more etc um but doing these things has helped me build up the self-esteem that is very necessary for continuing to look for answers and I understand why some people will even stop looking for answers and they don't have to but I want to because I think it would be very validating to know why this is happening to me. And I know for most muscle diseases, there aren't even that many good treatments, but I do think it would be helpful. And I might be able to figure out things to improve my quality of life. But to have the energy to keep fighting, it is so important to be able to believe that I what I am feeling is real. Um, and yeah. doing all those activities really helps with that. Um, yeah, and as well, I would say 
learning as much as I can, both about my illnesses or my body or how the body works, but also about how health, the healthcare system works, how bias in healthcare system works and how there's so many different types of biases, whether that's about like a certain identity, like someone being a woman or being trans or a person of color, but also different types of bias, you know, confirmation bias around, you know, someone's first impression of you and how that can really impact the way they treat you like what they write down in your notes and how that impacts how other doctors treat you. Um, learning about the doctor-patient relationship, the power dynamics. I'm still not the best at art advocating for myself in person, but I am much better. But I will, you know, freeze and like not speak up for myself because I just want to get out of that appointment. But le like learning as much as I can is helpful, especially, you know, I can go in and be bring up my research. And, you know, a lot of doctors will, um, complain about patients spending so much time online like researching their illnesses but I really believe in the power of um, research knowledge and the internet especially as someone who works in communications and social media like social media is really helpful and of course there's so much misinformation and you should never just believe like something you read right away and it's really important, as, especially as someone with chronic illness, for us to build up our critical thinking skills and our media literacy. But it is so helpful to do that research. And I think doctors should encourage patients to do it and not discourage it. Um, I've had too many situations where I've gone in and I've asked for, because I don't want to assume I know better. And I'll be like, do you have any recommendations? You know, when I was diagnosed with IIH, like idiopathic intracranial hypertension, because it's such a rare illness, there's not a lot of patient-friendly, like layperson-friendly materials on the internet. And so I asked them, I was like, can you point me to resources where I can learn more about this illness? And they said to me, oh, you don't need to learn. We'll just tell you what to do, which is so dismissive because they should be empowering patients. Um, and this is, so this is how we can empower ourselves and cope. Uh, yeah, so that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's awesome. So um, just to summarize there, you were mentioning you journal, you um, think therapy is awesome, which I completely agree with. And then um, you meditate and learn about your body and then just working on the confidence. Eh? So would you say those are like the four things or am I missing something there? Yeah, learning about my body and learning about how healthcare really works uh, mm -hmm. in general, including like politically and um, how it's structured, like who funds it, et cetera, et cetera. Just like understanding how it works, like can help you navigate it better and feel less overwhelmed, I find. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and like you were saying, like, with learning the confidence within yourself, then you can help others feel more empowered to discuss things. And that's kind of where you're running your social media as well. Would you'd agree with that as well? Yeah. Um, and I do, uh, I don't know if you're going to ask about this after, but like I do other types of advocacy beyond uh, my social media accounts. So, um, and I feel like all the learning that I did in the last, I would say six years has really helped me. So I've really only started doing like more, offline advocacy in the last year although I used to do public speaking back before I even knew I had chronic illness it was more around mental health stuff but um that's not something I always feel up to doing especially because I know I'm on a podcast right now but I actually lose my voice very easily um because I have uh swallowing vocal cord issues so I'm trying to be better at like managing that but there's so many ways that people can advocate so you know a lot of um, I'm on three I do three different projects right now so like I'm doing one project where we're working on um, improving 
systemic ableism in specifically nonprofits in uh, the Toronto area because a lot, a lot of the time, like even nonprofits who focus on like health conditions, like don't really know how to empower the people that use their services. And so I've been working with a, a local organization to develop a workshop where we go out and facilitate it in different areas. So we spent the last like year and a half kind of uh, creating the workshop. We had a symposium last summer virtually where we met with people from nonprofits to like talk about their struggles around making their services more friendly to people with illnesses, disabilities, et cetera. Um, I'm also, because I have mental illness and chronic illness, I've found that like there's not a good um, intersection of care for people who have both. And I find a lot of mental health services don't really understand the needs of people with chronic illness um, and vice versa. And so uh, there's this Crown Corporation called the Standards Council of Canada. It's based out of Ottawa. And they were tasked by the federal government to create mental health care standards for the country um and they were looking for people to join like the collaborative people who are developing it so i joined that and so i'm trying to i joined the committee specifically as part of that collaborative for people with complex needs so i'm really i'm trying to like speak up for people who have both chronic illnesses and physical illnesses uh, sorry and mental illnesses because often you know i've heard from people who will go in inpatient for example for a mental health crisis but they don't know how to support them around their physical health needs but either if it's like taking medications especially for pain medications if it's like opioids or even the time it takes to uh, do physio things like that because they can be really regimented you know i've done inpatient myself it was before i had such um, physical needs but uh, i remember what it's like and even, you know, um, a lot of mental health services can be really rigid around uh, the requirements of, you know, attending, let's say you're taking like an eight week workshop, and they make sure you have to attend all of them, or you can't miss more than one, and they don't understand the need to be flexible with people with chronic illnesses and make it more accessible so people can still, you know, participate, but also have their health needs met. Um, mm -hmm. And I also recently joined uh something called the GTA Disability Coalition, which is trying to influence uh, municipal politics around disability issues, like within the city government of Toronto. And so I'm trying to use my own experiences um, and knowledge to do that. Uh, so these are things I'm doing. Um, I actually don't remember your question though. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, you're good. You yeah. you answered it, so it's, it's okay. all good. That is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and then the I'll have one more question for you here would just be about Speaking to other people who are kind of experiencing similar um, conditions such as endometriosis um, and the other ones that you were mentioning, what is something that you would say to them um, if, if in terms of going through a similar experience, uh, maybe an experience in Canada healthcare system, do you have anything that you would say in particular um, to empower them or encourage them? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, chronic illness can be very hard so you know I I had a hysterectomy last summer it's been about a year to treat adenomyosis and so chronic uh that's just one way that it's impacted my life you know now I'm permanently infertile and uh I don't feel physically capable of um having a child in my life anyway so in terms of like other ways of having children like I'm not sure it's going to happen for me um so it's just one way you know my work life my relationships like my expectations for the future all these things have been impacted 
by my experience with chronic illness, uh, the mm -hmm. way it's impacted my body, but also my experience with the healthcare system and feeling so discouraged around it. And so it is really helpful to find a support system. It is hard though, because a lot of people don't understand what being in these types of situations is like if they haven't themselves. And so they can be compassionate about it, but they don't really understand, especially like the long process of trying to get diagnosed, like the desire for a diagnosis even, because, you know, we don't want to be sick, but we are already sick. And so we're just trying to find a label for like the symptoms we're experiencing. It's not that we want an illness. We already have the illness. We just don't know what it is kind of thing. And it's and so, a validation. Yeah. Yeah. And people yeah. don't always understand that. And they don't understand, you know, what it's like to live with an illness long-term, you know, we can't, it's not the same as an acute illness where you rest for a day and you're allowed to take breaks and kind of take a vacation from your real life. But with chronic illness, like people don't have the same expectations of you and you're often required to push yourself through a lot. Um, I do think connecting with other people with chronic illness is very helpful. Um, so that's why I really appreciate the online community. Um, obviously, sometimes it can be very overwhelming because, you know, I can be connected with so many people with chronic illness and uh, sometimes it can be hard because it reminds you of your own experiences and sometimes you don't want those reminders and you want just to distract yourself but a lot of the time it is great and so just finding a way to balance it you know because not only can you find like a sense of humor about it because people will find ways to cope with it through humor and you can find ways to make light of it and um, you can also find people who share ideas about how to cope that you hadn't considered they might share resources you haven't found yet like books other podcasts um certain doctors, uh, certain services, et cetera. Um, and also it can help you feel more empowered because um, finding people online with my illness, like it's not just about finding someone who can relate to me. Like I feel I've found people who I can work together to create change um, and you can't really do it alone. Um, so what's really helpful is a lot of people often want to start their own project, but, you know, looking for people who are doing something already, because a lot of people have already started things and they need help to get it more seen or more taken seriously. You know, so for example, I have some friends in the Toronto area who started their own nonprofit. It's called Endometriosis Events. Um, it's literally just them. It's a very small organization, but they throw like support groups and events for people with endometriosis, but they also are doing a lot of ad advocacy. So right now I'm helping them. So I've been helping them with a lot of their stuff, especially in the last year. Um, and it helps me cope because I feel like I'm doing something productive with my pain. Um, and so like I helped them plan an event in March, which I actually couldn't go to in the end because my husband got COVID. So I didn't want to go and, um, but I did help them plan it and it went really well. Apparently I was not there, but um, right now we're also planning um, a rally at Queens Park in October, we've been doing a petition um, with the guidance of an MPP um, that's a member of provincial parliament. It's like provincial uh, representative in government. And we have a petition. We're going to be asking the provincial government to put more funding towards endo care in the province. And so I've been helping them with a the petition, getting signatures, helping them plan the rally. Like doing these things have been really great um, to make me feel like I'm having a purpose. I will say, obviously, not everyone with chronic illness has the energy or the desire to push past, past their limited energy to do these things, because sometimes I think I do a little too much, but 
it's what helps me cope mentally. Um, but I think there's ways of making a difference even from bed, even with like going on your phone for 10 minutes a day, you know, you can sign an online petition, you can share a post on social media, you yeah. can do a lot of different things. And that does, has definitely helped me, but doing it together is really important. Um, yeah. Otherwise so, it can be really isolating, you know? Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. So building that community, whether it's people in person, having um, a good support system who respects your boundaries and, and respects what you're able to do as well as building that online community, which is of course what we're doing here as well. So I do appreciate yeah. you coming on this podcast with me and, and sharing your experience and um, with your conditions as well as um, in your in the Canadian healthcare system as well on top of that. So I really do appreciate you coming on and, and joining me today. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Um, and I, I hope to like connect more with you in the future and everyone listening. I'm a <laughs>